Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. J.J. Jerez, Arif Dean, here to cover some more avalanche hockey for you post-Christmas edition. Of course, it's the day after Christmas here, but we still got an avalanche game to talk about. We still have the same style of game to talk about even, Arif. I mean, avalanche still just gut-checking themselves, finding ways to win, and squeaking them out even when they're kind of... uh, you know, shorthanded. So, Arif, how you doing? How was your little long weekend here? And uh, yeah, let's get into some abs hockey. My long weekend, and and I I mean this without making any jokes about it, because some people will be frustrated if they dealt with it. But my long weekend went a hell of a lot better than anybody traveling right now. Holy shit! <laughs> it is every airport everywhere is just a terrible shit show right now, and it's kind of mind-boggling to me. I know I'm going off off the grid a little bit with this. That no, it go is. For it. <laughs> December 2022, it is almost 2023, and we are still in North America. I'm not even going to say the U.S., North America in general, like legitimately living in unprecedented times when it comes to traveling since COVID in 2020. Like, it's wild how crazy it is. I know of some avalanche, uh, uh, not avalanche, but I know of some Denver media right now that are driving back from California from the the Rams-Broncos game. Uh, I know Denver media over at DNVR and Jesse and Megan that almost didn't make it to Arizona for tomorrow's game against the Coyotes. It's just, it's wild right now everywhere. There's a player, David Juracek plays for the Czech Republic. Um, noted client of Adam, Alan, Alan Walsh, the agent that we all know and love on Twitter that, you know, once posted the picture of Flurry with a sword going through him that said Pete DeBoer on it. Honestly, the only agent I'd be able to name. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah, seriously. Um, and uh, Alan Walsh came out and tweeted about how Air Canada is a complete shit show right now because David Juracek flew, you know, he took a, he had a flight that had a layover in Toronto, I want to say, on its on his way to the World Juniors, and they lost his luggage. He's now trying to prepare for a game that started an hour and a half ago against Team Canada with no sticks, no equipment no skates, no nothing. And Alan Walsh said he was on the phone with air Canada for two and a half hours and the line went dead. And, and I do not want to be the person on the other side of the line when Alan Walsh calls back. So shout out to everybody trying to travel during the holidays, see your family, go home, come back home from wherever you were for the, for, you know, the holidays. It's a wild time right now. I think it's just crazy how flying in general has just lowered its own bar throughout the years. Right? Like I remember, I mean, I don't remember, but I know in the '60s and '70s when commercial travel travel was just kind of getting going, it was like a luxury thing, right? They made it a pleasant experience for you. They really wanted it to be about the experience. Now it's just yeah. like a, a glorified bus. Just cram as many people as you can in there, and don't get me started on uh, Southwest Airlines. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to get started. But Southwest has been having a lot of issues. Look, they just... refuse to fly Southwest ever again. The wildest thing for me, and let's not turn this into a complete opinionated thing. But the wildest thing for me is how in America um, as regular people, and this is something that will really make you think, but as regular people, we might be doing well in life. You know, we're paying our bills or paying your mortgage, your car bill, your insurance, your gas, your groceries. But at the snap of a finger, you could possibly lose your job or your source of income. And suddenly you go from living the high life to you are screwed. Like there is no safety net. And the people that do have a safety net, it's not a big enough safety net because you go through it so quick. So those are regular people. What's mind boggling to me is that this capitalistic country, the big corporate companies are the same way. 
all these airlines are riding high, making millions and billions of dollars. COVID happens and everybody is struggling. Everybody's panicking. Nobody had a safety net. It's so wild to me. The, the overhead costs compared to the profit margins, like a company like Walmart, not that they struggled during COVID because the, 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 the government kept them open of all places. They have like a 5% profit margin. So think of the millions and billions of dollars it takes to keep a Walmart operation going. You get a 5% profit margin, which is, of course, millions of billions of dollars plus 5%. But as soon as you lose that source of income, that revenue stream, suddenly it takes millions and billions of dollars to run this thing and you're getting nothing back in return. That's what's happening to all these airlines. That's why they're so short-staffed. That's why these cancellations are happening. I mean... For our listeners that know Jesse Montano at the Denver at uh, the DNVR, go read his tweets. Literally, they got on an airplane and we're told, hey, we don't have a pilot. So we're just going to chill and then deplane you. And then we're just going to look for a pilot. Like that's just wild. scream Southwest. It is so <laughs> wild right now. That's that's every and I hate to break it to um, people that like to target one airline because Air Canada is a shit show right now. Southwest. I know there's some other airlines, but I've. I've seen this happen to me personally and to other people on, on airlines like Delta, everybody's favorite airline. So like, it's just everybody right now is it's wild. I know we're five and a half minutes into this. We haven't talked hockey yet, but you know what? This is the shit that's going on right now. Um, obviously the reason a lot of this is happening is because of the winter storms, but it's also just, it's like, it's genuinely like this word has been overused for two and a half years, but unprecedented times, like never before, and the fact that it's dragged on for this long just shows how bad it was in 2020. Yeah, and it's going to take them a couple of weeks to catch up here, I feel. But yeah, let's get into some hockey. Um, like I mentioned, another gutsy win out of the avalanche there in Nashville. And that was another one, you know, more of the same, kind of a slow game throughout. And then on the third period, they just turn it up. They, they feel the pressure, the back's against the wall, and they find a way to tie the game late. And then ultimately, Sam Gerrard goal gets them the overtime winner. Beautiful play from Evan Rodriguez, what too, on that, OT, yes. on that OT goal. Um, but yeah, I guess just your thoughts on, on the continuance of this. Let's just dig it out and squeak them out any way we can and, and move on to the next one. You know what's crazy? You know very well that any team that plays the Avalanche, whether it's, you know, the upcoming games are what, the Coyotes, the Leafs, or the Coyotes, the Kings, the Leafs, every single one of them has a coach that is sitting there in the video room, whether it's the head coach, the video coach, an assistant coach, whoever the hell. Somebody is sitting there going, this is what you got to do to beat the Avalanche, but make sure you don't take your foot off the gas pedal because this team has no quit. This team makes the comebacks. They win the games. They come from behind. That's all over the place. (laughs) Literally, yeah. And you know very well that somebody in Nashville had that conversation with the Preds. If we go out to a multi-goal lead, don't take your foot off the pedal. And the Preds went out to a multi-goal lead, and lo and behold, they took their foot off the pedal. Do you remember the first goal? I know we're doing a post-game pod three days later because of Christmas. That shift that ended with the Miko Rantanen goal, the Avalanche just dominated the shit out of that play and kept cycling and cycling, and they made a couple switches, and then Rantanen comes on and shoots it in and out of the net so fast, Mosier didn't even know it went in. Like, just wild how good that shift was. And then JT Comfer leaves the game after uh, taking a stick, I want to say, up high off a faceoff. And we're like, oh, dear God, the Avalanche have three or four guys out of the lineup. Then he comes back. He scores a goal from Lekkinen and Miko Rantanen. And then, lo and behold, Evan Rodriguez fakes out the entire world with that fake shot pass to Sam Gerrard, who hit the net for once and <laughs> actually scored his second of the season. So... Um, this is the avalanche, man. They, they don't quit. Uh, they're, they're pulling out these wins from like, God knows where they're 
coming up with these with these comebacks and and doing it over and over again. And they're good in overtime this year. They're four and one in the five minute period, and they're three and one in the shootout. They're seven and two. Like they've not been this good in many many years. We've been complaining for the last couple of years how this team is so skilled, but just sucks in overtime in the five minute three on three. And now they've suddenly figured out how to be a good team at three on three without McKinnon and Landeskog, let alone when those guys get back. Or maybe they're the problem. I'm I'm just kidding. (laughs) Nine overtimes. That's a lot. Um, I wanted to get into Miko Rantanen, though, because you said it perfectly. He steps on and just kind of snipes it. And that's that's been his M.O. this year, man. I feel like he has one of the best releases in the NHL right now. I mean, it's hard for me to really compare because I'm not watching all 32 teams all the time. But when Miko Rantanen has the puck and he's facing a goalie and has an unobstructed shot, there's a good chance he's beating that goalie. Usually, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say 10 times out of 10. I mean, when you see him walking in with a good opportunity, you're pretty confident if that he's burying it. So his release, I don't know what it is about it or if, if it's just something that he's improved on or maybe he's had the whole time and just hasn't been able to use it. But that quick little wrist shot release, I think, is second to none in the NHL right now. I think... I think he hasn't. I'm trying to think of how I want to word this, but I think he hasn't used it as much in years past. Not that he, he loves that one timer, which he loves which the one timer, but a great weapon. Yeah, because it's he's always playing, you know, let let Nathan McKinnon create the play. Let's get the puck to McKinnon type of thing. And then Gabe Landeskog on the other wing, who, you know, I'll say it again. Miko Rantanen last year had 36 goals in 75 regular season games. Gabe Landeskog, regular season plus playoffs, played 71 games and scored 41 goals. So Miko wasn't the one always shooting, taking that first shot. He only had 254 shots last year. He's on pace to blow past that, maybe even hit 300 this year. I don't think he was using that wrister as much in years past, but I think this year, given the circumstances of no Gabe Landeskog, no Nazem Kadri, no Andre Burakovsky, those are three guys that would shoot the puck. And then given the circumstance of Nathan McKinnon being out the last seven, eight games, he's suddenly using it more and more and more to the point where He's now got 23 goals in 32 games. When Landeskog and McKinnon come back, y'all better start learning how to share the puck because Miko Rantanen, I know he's been leading the team in goals the last couple of years, and he's got a lot of them and a lot of points the last two seasons. But this is the guy on the team that probably should be putting up 45 to 55 goals consistently. Well, I think what it really tells me is that when Nathan McKinnon and Gabe Landeskog do come back, I think Miko Rantanen's just fine running his own line. Keep that Landeskog, Lekkinen, and McKinnon together. Let Rantanen go on a second line and carry a lot of the weight and you know spread out the uh, offense a little bit because he's clearly proving that all he needs are open opportunities, fine with some playmakers, you know, and Evan Rodriguez and Alex Newhook. I think he'll continue at the same pace even without his usual uh, two partners there. Yeah, I could see that. The The big thing that the Avalanche did in the playoffs last year was Lekkinen and Rantanen together, Nichushkin and Landeskog together. And then if you remember, it was McKinnon was the center of the top line with Lekkinen and Rantanen, and then Kadri was between Landeskog and Nichushkin. And I think Peter Baugh told us about this. It's in his uh, it's in his book. So this is a little bit of a spoiler, but... But he already he, told us about it. Yeah, You're but right. he told us about it on the, on, the, on the podcast is what I'm saying is... Yeah. The idea when in Tampa where they switched it up, where on the road it was Landeskog and Nichushkin playing with McKinnon or whatever, that was a Nazem Kadri uh, idea, or was it Nathan McKinnon? It was McKinnon. Sorry, it was a Nathan McKinnon idea to do that because he wanted Kadri to have the better defensive players on the road when the Avalanche don't get the last change. 
So that's why Kadri was flip-flopping with McKinnon. But yeah, I mean, I could see Rantanen being the guy to play with Nachushkin and, you know, insert centerman here, Rodriguez, new hook, new guy from the trade deadline, whatever. Um, but again, what this has done is exactly what Jared did last year when they did acquire Lekkanen, when they did start to kind of mess with those lineups, when Jared was playing chess at the end of the regular season, is this one was kind of forced, but it's now given you another option. You now realize that Miko Rantanen can be the guy playing with, you know, let's just say the fully healthy lineup right now, no no trade acquisitions. He could be the guy playing with Rodriguez as your center and Nichushkin as your left winger on the second line and let Lekin and Landeskog play with McKinnon. So there's a lot of options. And then if things don't work, Rantanen goes up with McKinnon, Lekinen comes down, Landeskog goes up, Landeskog goes up. There's just so many options with these four wingers. It's uh, why I, I've been saying over and over again, I know they need a second line center. I know they got Nathan McKinnon. I know they got Kale McCarr, but the Avalanche have such a strong, when healthy, top four winger core in Renton and Landeskog, Lekkanen and Etrushkin, that you just have something that many other teams don't have. Like, look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're one of the best teams in the NHL. They have Matthews and Marner. They have Tavares and Nylander. Well, right now it's it's mostly... Matthews and Nylander, Tavares and Marner. And then that second winger on both lines has been a combination of Callie Yarncroft and Michael Bunting and Dennis Malgan before he was traded to the Avalanche. Uh, Nick Robertson, Jason Robertson's younger brother or older brother, I forget. But it's not the same kind of core as what the Avalanche have in those four wingers. Yeah, and we've also brought up how, you know, that's kind of the bright side of all these injuries is the experimentation. And if you come out of the, all these injuries knowing, okay, looks like Miko Rantanen's a lot more capable than we realize of, of running his own line, then I think, you know, you can kind of approach it as all this was a glass half full and all this was for the best in the end. But, uh, I mean, we'll see. Everything everything changes and adjusts, and I'm sure we're definitely going to see that Landis Cog mckinnon rantanen line once everybody's <laughs> healthy, especially come think- playoff time. but. Hey, I think fun. I think as soon as the team's healthy, Bedner's just gonna roll out a couple of Landeskog, McKinnon, Ranton, and shifts just to be like, God, I miss this. And then he'll <laughs> go back tail. to yeah, just like that. Oh, I want to see them just go out. Hey, Taves and Makar, join them on the ice. Go, go do, hey, hey, Georgie, check this out. You haven't seen this all year. Check how cool this shit is. Um, <laughs> and then he's gonna do the thing where he'll put Ranton and Alekin in there. But having Ranton in as that option of running his own line is something that Jared. I don't think he's going to run with it when everybody's healthy right away, but it's something he can put in his back pocket and he can keep it there for when he needs it. And, you know, going back to the experimentation, going back to a player I just mentioned, Dennis Malgin, 17 minutes against the National Predators after 16 minutes in his debut, uh, another three shots on goal, another good opportunity to score, uh, five shot attempts. He he's he's been He's been pretty good too. So, like, there's just a ton of options now that the avalanche are learning something that you and I talked about, uh, in the press box privately. Um, but the realization that Andreas Engeland is actually a pretty good number seven, number eight defenseman. And I think I said it to you and I said, hot take and, you know, call it a hot take or not who gives a shit when you're talking this far down the depth. But I said, hot take on Andreas Engeland might be a better number seven slash number eight defenseman than both Jack Johnson and Ryan Murray were. And that's no disrespect to either. I still think the Avalanche should go out and trade for Jack Johnson and have him and Engeland and Brad Hunt as your extras. But he's been pretty damn good too. The guy played, I think it was 11 minutes against Nashville. He had eight hits. <laughs> he had eight of the Avalanche's 26 hits in, in, in 11 minutes of ice time. He's just a giant. He's a behemoth of a man. And he's kind of like Jack Johnson, 
He's he's defensively sound. He's he's always there. He's he's not making any flashy plays, but he's not, you know, causing any bad turnovers anymore. He's kind of like developed into that role nicely to just be invisible as as a number six defenseman, as a stay at home defenseman. Just be invisible unless it's a big hit. Don't create those turnovers. Don't don't do anything stupid. Don't jump into the play and have to trail back and chase, you know, Artemi Panarin going back the other way on a rush or something. Just be invisible, do your job, and lay out some players when you get the chance. Yeah, different tools, different strengths than uh, Jack Johnson or McDonald. But, uh, yeah, I think what he brings fits kind of what the Avalanche are missing right now, right? That physical side of the game. I mean, we've been saying that for years, and I know they've been over, able to overcome it. But, I mean, when you n- lose a guy like Nikita Zadorov, that size and that physicality, I mean, that's a big presence in the defensive group that intimidates other teams. And not only that, it's hard to get around a guy with that long of a wingspan, right? When he's fully yeah, stretched out. I mean, a lot, we, we've talked about Val Nachushkin in the same way. When he's, you know, the stick blade, Length all the way to his opposite arm. I mean, that's yeah, easily ten feet long. So when you're that big, I mean, you 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 bring a lot to the table. And I think what England brings is um, a perfect fit for the Colorado as long as um you know they're not fully healthy on that defensive side. Yeah. Well, don't forget the guy who's injured that he's replacing because they did replace Nikita Zadorov at the deadline last year. Josh Manson. I know he's yeah, not true. as big a body true. as England and Zadorov, but he plays that game and he does mm-hmm. it damn well. So. Without Josh Manson, England is there doing his thing. Hell, EJ had six hits in, in his 18 minutes against Nashville. So Eric Johnson's like, all right, I'll pick up the slack and start doing this hitting thing too. You need some some monsters on the back end, and it's certainly as hell not going to be Brad Hunt or Sam Gerrard. And then, you know, Kale McCarr and Devon Taves are what they are. They're Kale McCarr, like I, I, I hate to, you know, ever have this conversation and be like, yeah, Kale McCarr is just a speedy offensive defenseman or whatever. Like he doesn't need a physical side to his game. No, no, no. What I'm saying is Kale McCarr does have a physical side to his he game. He doesn't need it. And, but when yeah. he, when he needs to whip it out, he will, but he does. And right. he's, he's damn good at laying out some hits and he's really strong on his skates and he's, he's a big thick dude too. So like if Kale McCarr wasn't as skilled as he was with all that talent he has, he would be the best version of Josh Manson in the NHL because he's about the same size as Manson and he can go out and play that role. But he's like, I'm so good. I don't need to overdo it that much, but when I need it in a pinch, I will lay out some players and, and you know, he's been doing it for a couple of years now. Yeah. And those hits usually are pretty big, but yeah, sometimes he's just like, I'll just beat you. With my IQ, I don't even need to throw bodies around. Um, Val Nachushkin left that Nashville game with a lower body injury. We were just talking about how great it'll be when everybody's coming back. But <laughs> Val Nachushkin seems to be in and out of the lineup since his long injury stint there. What What are your feelings on Val Nachushkin? Are you a little bit worried at how sustainable he's going to be health-wise? Uh, I, I don't want to say I'm worried because that's, you know, this is the first year of an eight-year contract. I, again, like when you win a Stanley Cup, players get hurt, and that's what makes Tampa Bay going to three straight Cup finals so friggin' impressive. And he had to get carted out of that arena. Let's not. And he forget. had to get carted so, out of that arena. It wasn't man. just a, a small injury. <laughs> what a memory that was! If you remember, heading into Game Six, when he walked in, he was wearing a friggin' slipper from the a hotel. Robe slipper, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was wearing a robe slipper on one foot, and I was like, this, this, this guy's about to dress in game six of the Stanley cup final. And he played like 23 minutes or whatever the hell it was. And he was good. He was so good in that game. Um, you and I have seen it. I pointed it out to you the other day when, when Lekkinen was uh, having his press conference, I pointed out that Nichushkin had, I don't know if you saw it before he unwrapped it, but he had that extra layer or two of wrap around his, his ankle, that ankle that we've seen him walk around with, with the slightest of, of, 
of limps in his steps since the avalanche came back. And it's, it's, you know, whether it's the ankle, the foot, whatever the hell it is, it's the same foot. It's the same leg as the one that he broke in the playoffs last year, the same foot. So maybe he's not completely healthy. Maybe there's something going on there that's bothering him. But like when we say things like that, look, like I don't want it. And, and this is a big thing that I, I like to do as a reporter is like, I don't want it to be this big thing where, suddenly it's you know that reporter who has access to the locker room says that he's playing injured because look i'm i'm 29 years old i'm not a professional athlete but as we've talked about in the past i enjoy running i enjoy lifting weights i enjoy this i enjoy that at this age and nichushkin is younger than me there are a few things that bother you you know and i'm sure you, you you've dealt with this too you told me once you you know every time you play hockey you show up at ball arena the next day and you kind of got this limp right now hip. my back is killing yeah. me Arif. But, i can't even tell you yeah but does is that going to stop you from being able to go out and and you know skate tomorrow in your beer league is that no. going to stop me from being able to go out and you know run a marathon this summer like i usually do like it's not going to stop you from doing those things but it is something to be cognizant of. And I think that when you have those little ailing injuries and anybody who's in their 25 to 35 year old range or older, maybe even younger, if you're, you know, we're a high school and college athlete, like you guys know what I'm talking about. Those little things that always kind of bother you and you don't even have to be an, an athlete to have it. That could be the case. That could be the case with Nachushkin, and that could be why he's got a little bit of a limp, but it's not going to affect his ability to be a $6 million forward. Um, but when you have those things, if something goes just a little bit wrong, uh, you can go from, yeah, this is a manageable, playable injury to, yeah, I need to sit out for a little bit, whether it's a week or two, or whether it's a month or two. So I'm not saying that's the case. You and I right now, we're recording. It's Monday, December 26th at 6.39 p.m. The NHL in the collective bargaining agreement has listed that the 24th, 25th, and 26th of December, Christmas, Christmas Eve, and the day after Christmas, which we call in Canada Boxing Day. On those three days, you cannot have any team activities, which, by the way, includes flying. All of the road teams for Tuesday's games, including the Avalanche going to Arizona, are all going to fly the morning of their game, which never happens in the regular season except for this particular day. And the reason why I'm mentioning all this is to basically say the Avalanche finished that game on the 23rd. They got in on, on their airplane in Nashville, came back to Denver, 24, 25, 26, absolutely zero news. There's nothing. Nobody can get a word of what's going on with Nachushkin. By the time you guys are listening to this, we'll probably have an update from people out in Arizona that are at that game. But as of right now, we don't know what the situation is. We'll see if he's going to be healthy. It is a lower body injury, obviously. No idea if it's related to that foot, to that lower body injury that kept him out last year in the playoffs a little bit or hurt him in the playoffs, kept him out earlier in the season. Um, but, you know, that's just me speculating and just throwing shit at the wall. But I, we're going to find out on Tuesday. Well, we had the discussion last week about Kale McCarr, right? How if the lineup was a little bit healthier, chances are maybe he takes a couple days off, maybe a couple games off here and there. Who knows? I feel like it's the same with Val Nachushkin. I mean, right now they kind of have to lower their standard as to what is healthy and what's not just to put bodies out there. And mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, he might be fighting through it. He he might not. He might feel good enough to uh, still perform. I mean, if he could if he could do the things he did on a broken-ass foot, I mean, I'm sure he can do similar things on one that's healing. So, um, you know, uh, who, and who knows if that 
foot ever fully healed, right? I mean, that thing was really broken. So it might just be something he plays with that much wrap on for the rest of his career. Who knows? But um, it's just that's that's what it is. This is the time of the year you kind of have to put your head down and fight through some stuff, even if it's uh, zero degrees outside. Even though <laughs> it's dark at four thirty o'clock, four thirty p.m., you just kind of gotta keep fighting through and and get through this uh, tough stretch of the season. Yeah, and and that's ultimately what it probably is. And you know. The Avalanche winning that game against Nashville was their fourth straight win, six and one in their last seven games. Uh, and it's basically put them at a situ- at a point where now, and I tweeted this the other day, they're third in the Central Division. They're three points back of the Winnipeg Jets with two games in hand. They're six back of the Dallas Stars with three games in hand. So technically, I know you have to win those games in hand for them to matter. But if you win all those games in hand, you're first in the Central Division. And the good part about the Avalanche right now hanging around, not just hanging around in a playoff position or hanging around in that seven, eight, nine bubble or third or fourth in the, in the division, which technically they are, but they have the games in hand. They're hanging around with the best in the West, which is a good thing because as they get healthy, as they win and play those games in hand and hopefully go get those victories, um, they're going to be in a situation where, you know, after the trade deadline and down the stretch, they're not fighting for playoff positioning. They've kind of, got that comfortably figured out where they can start to rest these players. You don't have to play Kale McCarr like the Vegas Golden Knights did last year, all the way to game 82, just to fight for a position and fail at it. Like the Golden Knights did. You want to put yourself in a position where you can rest these guys heading into the playoffs. And the only way to do that is to bust your ass off right now, muck and grind it out while you're so injured in the middle, boring part of the season and rack up as many points as possible. So that in March and April, you can take the foot off the pedal just a little bit. You know, not with your with your compete level, but with the players that you're skating every single night and how many minutes they're playing so that when you get to the playoffs, you can be the team that swept Nashville, beat St. Louis in in six, swept the Oilers and beat the Lightning in six and not a team that's, you know, struggling in the first round because of how tough the regular season was. Indeed, I think we uh, should dive into the standings here a little deeper in this in a second. Um, First, I was wondering that today. What what is the origin of boxing day what if you can make it brief for us why is it called boxing day and is it actually correlated to boxing no no it's not correlated to boxing the the, you know the sport or the you know the fighting boxing no it's not that it's uh i believe it started in england it's an english thing that canada just took on because england canada because history um yeah thank you because history uh it's basically Canada slash England's version of Black Friday. It's the day after Christmas and you have a lot of sales because the purpose of Boxing Day, and I say that with air quotes, is take all this inventory, throw it in a box and get it the hell out of here. So let's just put it on sale. So that's ultimately Mm. what it is. The holidays are over, box this shit up and put it on 50% discount. Just get it out of here. So that's ultimately how how it came about. And it turned into a straight up holiday. Yeah. And, and, you know, it turned to a holiday for the NHL, you know, around, I think it is a holiday. I don't know if it's a national holiday in Canada. I can't remember that much, but it is, it's ultimately Canada's version of black Friday. I mean, how did black Friday come about? Like it's similar idea. So, uh, it's just a holiday and you know, it makes a little bit more sense. Black Friday in America, you're kind of get ahead of the Christmas holiday shopping and get out there the day after Thanksgiving and buy all you need in Canada. It's like, you're done the Christmas shopping. Here's a bunch of shit on discount. Buy it. Cause we don't need it anymore. <laughs> so uh, that's ultimately where boxing day came from. All right, guys, I got to hit you with uh, two ad reads since we didn't have our Sunday show because of the holidays, we got to double up. So bear with me here. But first of course, 
Superbook Sports. Guys, add this to your New Year's resolution. Win money in 2023. That's going to be my year. I know it. I'm going to win a lot of money in the sports book. I'll believe it when I see it. And with Superbook Sports. Superbook has over three decades of sports wagering experience in Las Vegas, so you'll get the best odds anywhere as we head into the football playoffs. Plus, check out their special odds boosts and promotions at Superbook.com. Make 2023 the year when you and I win money from Vegas. Download the Superbook Sports app now and place your bets. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Currently losing some money on the World Juniors as Canada's losing to Czechia. Um, Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they deliver? Did you know they had curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. What a delightful place. Um, all right, Arif. You kind of got into the standings a little bit. They're just a pinch behind both Winnipeg and Dallas. Both I looked ahead at both of their schedules, the the Stars and the Jets, and they kind of have a I would call it pretty mediocre difficulty coming up uh, on their schedule ahead. I could kind of say the same thing about the Avalanche, right? So I guess where's your confidence level on the strength of the Stars, the strength of the Jets, and the Avalanche's ability to catch these guys in the division? I think they're both pretty good teams. I'm not sold on actually I, I can't say I'm not sold on Winnipeg. Winnipeg's a good team and I think they're gonna they're gonna be a challenge for whoever plays them in the playoffs. Um the thing is the Jets have been a good team for a few years. They had that 2018 run, they lost Bufflin and Truba and all those guys and kind of fell off a little bit, but they have the talent. But what I'm trying to get at is I go back and forth on Winnipeg, but Dallas, I genuinely do believe is a great team. Uh, I think they have everything you need. They have the defense. They have the goaltender. They now have the coach, especially in his first year. Pete DeBoer always brings a team to the top in his first year with them. Um, and they have the forwards. They have Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan kind of having a rejuvenated season. And then obviously Henson Pavelski and, and Jason Robertson on that top line. So I think both of them are going to be a challenge for the Avalanche. The only thing is even without a trade deadline acquisition and you know, you can call this bias or you can call this the guy that covers the Stanley cup defending Stanley cup champions, a healthy avalanche team is better than both those teams. And it says a lot right now that the jets and the stars are relatively healthy. They haven't had, you know, the least bit amount of injuries compared to what the avalanche have had. And a three game winning streak puts the avalanche above both those teams. A uh, bruised and battered avalanche team that has had Landeskog not play a single game, has had Nachushkin miss 17 and is injured again. Lekkinen miss a handful. Byram miss 17 to 20. Manson miss a handful. McKinnon now out for almost 10 games. Darren Helm missed the entire season. Cogliano's out. This team with all these injuries is right there with Winnipeg and Dallas. So my confidence level in them being good teams is, yeah, I'm confident they're both good teams and they're going to be a challenge in the playoffs. My confidence level in those two in the avalanche catching those two is high because the abs are doing it right now. And, you know, you can only play the teams that are put on the schedule ahead of you, but the avalanche are beating the teams they should beat, which is not something you could have said in the beginning of the season. Um, but you know, they're going to get a bit of a challenge here with the LA Kings and even more so way more. So I should say with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I think the abs are in a good position to catch both these teams. December has been pretty good to them, despite that little stretch right there with the, you know, the Boston and the Philly and Boston game when, when McKinnon was getting injured and all that. Um, but 
long story short, I think the Avalanche are well positioned to catch both these teams. And honestly, I think they will. Yeah, I'll help defend your argument a little bit. I think you look at Winnipeg and Dallas. I mean, Winnipeg is a, a good team who just kind of needed a, a different structure, and they kind of tightened up their structure. Dallas is a very talented team. Same idea. They just needed a new structure. They're working a new structure, and, and it's working for them. The Avalanche have been comfortable in their structure. The Avalanche have a lot of skill. The biggest hurdle for the Avalanche this year has been injuries and injuries alone with a full squad comfortable with the, the level of talent that this roster holds and the structure that these guys already are comfortable playing, know how to play is effective. You know, they already understand they've seen it work firsthand. So um, I think that's what really gives the avalanche the leg up is simply having the skill, having the structure and the comfort in that structure that kind of feels like Winnipeg and Dallas is still kind of navigating. Yeah. So looking at the Dallas stars, they have played 35 games. I'm going to list off a few of the names here that have played all 35 games for them. Jason Robertson, Joe Pavelski, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, Mason Marchment, Ryan Suter, Radic Faxa, Rupe Hens has played 34. So he's only missed one. Miro Haskin has played 32. He's only missed three. Winnipeg Jets have played 34 games. Some of the players that have played every single game for the Winnipeg Jets, Josh Morrissey, who by the way, Let's call him Josh Norrissey because he's been an incredible 39 points in 34 games, and he's a good two-way defenseman. Josh Morrissey, Kyle Connor, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Mark Shifley, Neil Pionk, Brendan Dillon, um, Blake Wheeler's at 29, so he's only missed five games. And then when you go to the Avalanche, they've played 32 games. The guys at the top that have played 32, and I'm not going to list some. For both of those teams, I listed some. I'm going to give you every single player on the Avalanche that has played all 32 games. Miko Ranton and Kale McCarr, boom, right off the bat. Those are two of your best two players. Then you got a depth center in JT Comfer, a depth center in Alex Newhook, a depth forward in Logan O'Connor, uh, and a third-line defense pairing in Eric Johnson. That's it. So Rantanen and McCarr compared to Winnipeg's old games of Morrissey, Connor, Dubois, Shifley, Pionk. Those are five of your best players. The Dallas Stars, Jason Robertson, Joe Pavelski, Ben Sagan, Marchment, Ryan Suter, those are six of your best players, and there's about eight other guys that have played every game for Dallas. Dallas has had little to no injuries at all this season. Holy shit. Um, but that kind of proves our theory. The Avalanche have had one, two, three, four, five, six guys play all 32 games, and the only ones that are star-studded players in that list are Kel McCarr and Miko Rantanen. Correct me if I'm wrong, did, didn't Jake Ottinger miss a stretch of games there, and they kind of had a, a, a little moment of sliding? I honestly cannot remember. I just know that he has started 24 games and Scott Wedge would have started 11. So maybe, but 24, 11, I mean, if he, if he missed the stretch, how many could it be? Cause 24, 11 is not that. Yeah, big it was brief. It was brief. Yeah, it was brief, but I guess that's kind of also, you know, something you got to look at because he's a big reason that they're doing, that they're doing what they're doing. And if he's kind of uh you know, flimsy right now, then that also gives you a lot more hope for, snagging that first the, spot in the central the dallas stars it's actually crazy how little injuries they've had so you know you're supposed to dress 18 skaters and two goalies one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen of their 18 skaters has played every single game then two more have played 34 two more have played 32 the only big injury or big replacement whether it's an injury or healthy scratch Dennis Garyanov has played 25 games and Joel Hanley has replaced him and played eight. They've not had any injuries. 
the Dallas Stars are playing at the top of what their best lineup is. The Avalanche are playing at the top of what one fucking, I don't know, one third of their lineup could be. One half of what, not one third, not one third of their lineup, but one third of what their best play and best game could be. Uh, one half of what their best game could be without Landeskog and McKinnon and Cogliano and Helm and Nichushkin and Byram and Manson. And like, that's crazy how many injuries the Avs have had. And they're hanging out with them right now. The Winnipeg Jets, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys have played 34. Eight, nine, 10, 11 guys have played at least 30. So it's just a world of difference. And then just to clarify on what I was saying, October 29th, Jake Ottinger leaves the game due to injury. By November 10th, he was skating again. So it was an injury, Two but weeks. it was super brief. Yeah. Um, but again, something to keep an eye on, right? Uh, and I mean, hey, Scott Wedgwood is is their version of Pavel Fransos. I'd take Fransos any day of the week over him, but he's he's a reasonable backup that can hold the fort down for a week or two. Right on. Well, let's look at the schedule ahead, Eric. If we got Arizona, like you mentioned, and then following up with a game against the LA Kings and then the Toronto Maple Leafs. Only Arizona is on the road. Your thoughts on the uh, upcoming schedule here. Arizona and LA are going to be two, uh, two more of those muck and grind types of games like you just had against Montreal, the Islanders, and the National Predators. Uh, the one that I'm circling is that one against the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's going to be a fun one. I, I just... I know the Avalanche aren't the strength of what they could be, but that's always a fun game. The Avs and Leafs outside of the one where Jet Alexander was the backup to Jonas Johansson and the Avalanche got lit up <laughs> last year at uh, Scotiabank, Scotiabank Arena. But um, I'm really, really curious to see what kind of lineup the Avs have by Saturday, New Year's Eve. Is Natushkin going to be healthy? Is Nathan McKinnon going to make an early comeback? I guess we'll find out there. Cogliano, you know, what's the deal with Cogliano? The only thing we heard from Jared Bednar last week was he was just going to miss those two games uh, before the before the holiday break. So what version of the Avalanche are we going to see? And how are they going to fare against the Maple Leafs? Because that's a team that I believe went on a stretch of like 15-0-4 in 19 games before losing a couple straight. Uh, and then they dominated the Tampa Bay Lightning coming out of that two-game losing streak. So I... Uh, that game's going to be a lot of fun, and honestly, I'm excited for it. Saturday night, it's going to be a blast. Don't look past the Arizona Coyotes, though. They have suddenly learned how to win at Mullet Arena. They're 4-1-1 in their last yeah. six home games. So um, definitely not a team to just look past it and start oh, thinking for sure. ahead. For sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the biggest thing right now with uh, Arizona, LA, and all those teams that you know, you probably should be. And I keep saying LA as if they're playing bad. They're they're 19, 12, and six. It's not the best record. They're six, two, and two in their last 10, but they give up a ton of goals. They're a minus seven goal differential despite being second place in the Pacific Division. Granted, they've also played 37 games, so it's a little bit it's not really what it's what it is. But the thing about those kinds of teams like Montreal, like like Nashville, is those are the type of teams you got to grind it out against right now because those are grinding teams that you can't beat with skill right now. You have to beat them with a grinding mentality. Um, so by no means am I overlooking Arizona. And it wouldn't surprise me if they lose to Arizona and beat Toronto because this is the NHL and that's the kind of stuff that happens. Indeed, indeed. Uh, the Avalanche have morning skate tomorrow at 11.30 in Mullet Arena. What time do you think they have to catch the flight to be dressed and on the ice by 11.30? That's that's a good question. I probably will check on that when we hang up here. I'm really curious when they're flying. Interesting. How long is that flight? Like a 
two it's hours. It's not 90 minute flight. It's a very simple minutes. flight. Yeah. yeah. Not bad. But yeah, it says team flight to Arizona and then morning skate 1130 mountain time. So I would guess they're going to get on the airplane at about 730, get there at nine, check into your hotel and you got two and a half hours to take the ice, which is not unreasonable. And then take a midday nap and be ready to go at 7 p.m. You know, they're not flying Southwest. They probably got such a delicious <laughs> breakfast on their flight. Yep. They got, they actually, they, I mean, obviously it's a private jet, but if you've seen the pictures, I, I think it's still, it's an Air Canada jet, isn't it? It used to be. No idea. If it's still the same Air Canada jet that they've always had, then that's hilarious because Air Canada is an issue right now. It's a shit show right now, but you know, when it's a private jet, you get to pick your own times and departures and you're good. Right on. Well, that's all we've got on the docket. Anything you uh, want to get off your chest before we get out of here to start the week? I guess the last thing is when you're looking at the standings, um, Dallas and Winnipeg are two of the teams that you want to look at, but there's also the team above them both. First of all, the Avalanche are tied with the Seattle Kraken in points and games. Um, The Avalanche are four points back of the LA Kings with five games in hand. So we're going to go ahead and ignore that right now. But at the top of the West is the Vegas Golden Knights, who, if you remember, started the season on fire. The Golden Knights have played four more games than the Avalanche, and they're nine points ahead. Again, you have to win your games in hand, but if you win your four games in hand, you're only one point back. Basically, what I'm getting at is right now, the best team in the Western Conference has a 681 points percentage. That's the Vegas Golden Knights. If you go to the Eastern Conference, they have three teams that are ahead of that and one team on par. New Jersey is on par with them. Toronto, Carolina, and Boston are all ahead. So to go along with what I was saying about the Avalanche climbing up the Central Division standings and really having a, a shot at winning it all there, that the Western Conference is still very much in play. And that's what they did last year. They didn't win the NHL President's Trophy. They won the Western Conference top seed and ended up getting home ice advantage all the way through because the Panthers crapped out in the second round. Five of the next six games... You know, the only one that isn't is the Toronto game. Five of the next six are against Pacific Division opponents as well. So mm. a good little chance to, to I believe put they damage got, in the Western. They, get, they got the Golden Knights the first game after New Year's, mm-hmm. January 2nd. Yeah, right. so that, that'll be a big one. You win that game and suddenly you're, you know, seven points back with four games in hand. Suddenly you, you're in the driver's seat. So those four-point swings, those four-point games really are big. My mistake. I forgot Arizona's in the Central now. Oh, yeah. Honestly, I did too. But yeah, I I got what you mean. You got me. You got me. Right on. Well, uh, yeah, here's a good place to stop. I, Arif, am going to be, I don't know, I'm telling the listeners, but I'm also reminding you because I'm sure you forgot. I'm going to be up in the mountains every year around this time. A friend and I coach a hockey camp for the kids up in Vail. So I will be there this Wednesday and Thursday. Um, So I'm going to miss the LA game, but you'll be back for Toronto. You'll be back for Toronto. It'll be great. That'll be a great time. That one's that's one I've had circled on the calendar since I first received those fantastic magnetic calendar schedules. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if you remember, but the National Predators game last month was postponed. So uh, I would like a new calendar with the new game date on there, please. Yeah, Re- talk to the manager, <laughs> Mr. Karen. Um, <laughs> that'll do it. Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, yeah, we'll see. The podcast schedule ahead is up in the air. We'll figure it out, though. Don't worry. We got a lot more coming. That's that's all we can say. (laughs) Indeed. Um, So, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we actually, shoot, I forgot the music. Bye, guys. Oh, you did it? Yep.